One of the very first times I told a story on the radio, I was brought into a room with a board of colored pieces of paper that were markers for all types of stories, and I was told to empty my head. Give us all your stories, they said. What are things that have happened to you that we can use for our radio program? And one of the things I remembered was being an extra bouncy-haired, laser-eyed kid on the basketball court, pursuing the dreams of stage and sound, surrounded by artists and musicians in a swirl of styles and perfumes and paisleys, and then all of a sudden, there she was, hip-hop. My very first time experiencing the beats and rhymes, the penmanship profuse, personality of a punk, he, she, we, whatever it wants to be, putting the P in P-funk, we got to know each other with casual conversation, laughter over limericks. We became close counterparts. And then, as it was springtime, I invited hip-hop over for Passover. I wasn't thinking too hard about the reaction or if the family was down with all that noise. I just wanted to blend the styles of my love and lineage. Not everyone in my family was down. Some of the aunts say hip-hop is not even a, a, a real music, just a lecture. But some of the uncles, they welcome the swirl of curls and extra bouncy flavors to the Seder. The producers wrote it down on a piece of paper, put it on the board of stories. Now I got one to tell. That is, until she walked into the room. Welcome to the Hip Hop Haggadah. This is the very first installment of a cultural recognition looking at two unique experiences and identities. I'm your guide and curator, Joshua Walters. Today, on what could be an annual event, we merge the worlds of African-American and Jewish cultural landscapes. To do this, we needed to decide on a title for the project. Hip-hop, the cultural lens of the greater world, started in the States, and Haggadah, for those who don't know, is the storybook you read during a Passover Seder. We are coming to you just in time for Passover this year as a part of Reimagine Exodus. We have a few guests, a few songs, and have the ritual. And like anything that happens, a ritual needs to be planned, which starts by looking at the calendar. You may have already gotten an invite from moms inquiring about the Seder this year. Are you coming here? Are we going there? This year, 2021, Passover takes place Saturday, March 27th, and stretches out for eight days until April 4th. If you're hosting virtually or with real bodies in the room, the scheduling begins months in advance. And if it's your tradition to do the first Saturday or second Saturday or any of the days in between, it's really up to you. And like anything, it depends on the schedules you're inviting. But you know by now, to get on the calendar takes months of notice. 
And if you've never been to a Passover, it carries the significance and family pressures of Thanksgiving. Are you bringing your new partner? Do you have to schlep the kids on a plane? Whatever it is, it's going to take effort. Now, depending on your custom, a Seder can take hours, but for this project, we put it into a truncated version in easily digestible audio. First step of the ritual, everybody wash your hands. The first part of the ceremony is called the Kiddush, where the first cup of wine is drunken. Opening ceremony, first cup of wine. The first element of the ceremonial foods is the karpas, dipping a spring vegetable like parsley into salt water that signifies the tears of the slaves in Egypt. Next, out comes the matzah, or yahats, where the first piece is broken in two, one being hid from view to be later discovered by the children as the afikomen. At this moment, we start the story, the narrative of Passover called Megid. This is where we talk about welcoming the stranger to our table, those who have been outcasts or travelers, as we speak of the spirit of Elijah. Sometimes the youngest goes to the door, opens up for a crack for Elijah to enter, and the spirit of Elijah fills the room. We pour a special cup of wine for Elijah and fill it. Maybe one of the adults drinks it, but it disappears magically on its own. The second cup of wine poured, one for Elijah, cup number two. Next, the youngest at the table asked the four questions. Why do I need ID to get ID? Why on this night? Why? 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 Why on this night do we? Why on this night do we? And why on this night do we? There are four types of children. You may be wondering what type you are. The wise child, the simple child, the child that does not know how to ask, the mischievous child the rambunctious child, the busta child, children with disability, like you might have a deaf child, a Moe's deaf child, enterprising children, a Jay-Z, young Jay child, a gone too soon child, a Biggie Smalls child, or a wild child, an old dirty, in this case, young dirty bastard child. Next we read the 10 plagues, taxes, bed bugs, high interest, bad credit, hat hair, car wrecks, fruit flies, expiration dates, MAGA hats, and child support of the firstborn. Now there is more ritual that goes into a traditional Seder, but we are giving you just a taste of those bitter herbs to get you ready for your own service. So to get a few other voices contributing to this project, we asked around, looked in the old Rolodex and contacted our friend Tiffany Harris who works for an organization called Moisha House. Moisha House gives young Jews in their 20s an opportunity to build community out of their home and be part of a global network of young people around the world doing the same thing. We called her up from her home in DC. Uh, thanks for making time. I know it's a uh, you know, busy schedule. You know, you're you're big time now. It's hard to get on the schedule. <laughs> big time in the nonprofit world is like medium time. And like, but cool yeah, now. but like, that's fantastic. Like happy to support. I mean, this is awesome. 
I wonder if you could tell me about some of your, your musical upbringings and you know what inspired you through music in uh, your coming up years. Yeah, musical upbringing. Um, I would, so my mom is a really big fan of jazz. So my, my earliest memories of music were always like her playing jazz um, on her record machine, which is how she still prefers to listen to jazz. She's old school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot of jazz in the house, um, a lot of Jackson 5, a lot of Motown. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. So it was a lot of like Michael Jackson in general. And I remember that was like the, we weren't allowed to watch TV growing up unless like Michael Jackson was on or in Living Color. <laughs> it was like, so, so yeah, you can only watch TV when Michael Jackson or in Living Colors on. So like, that's sort of where my earliest memories came from. And yeah. I, um, <laughs> I don't even know if I should say this on this podcast, but my first concert when I was like 13 was up in smoke with like Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Exhibit, oh, Nate Dogg. Yeah. Like, so I love like that. And actually that's like your region, like that uh, yeah. West, Coast West Coast rap. But, yeah. um, you know, I grew up in Seattle, so mm-hmm. I very much love like... Um, you know, sub pop records, the acoustic, I guess you'd say like indie music scene. And uh, when I was in college, like I definitely had a fake idea. I was not interested in drinking, but I went to a lot of shows. Like I loved mm-hmm. music. That was like where all my disposable income would go just to concerts and yeah. finding new bands. And um, I loved like Bandcamp and MySpace. So I was always like trying to find like oh, yeah. new music, sifting through record stores on Broadway and Capitol Hill. So yeah, I love music. I think these days I don't really source or discover new music the way I used to. And I, I mean, definitely now we're at a time when like shows are on pause, but I will be looking mm. forward to going to like concert venues again when those open up small ones. I like, yeah. you know, like a couple hundred people max. I was wondering if we could get into um, how you identify um, racially, religiously and the, the intersections of those worlds. Could you, could you tell me a little bit about that, about, you know, how you identify and those, what, where those identif- identities merge? Yeah. So I, I always say I'm, I'm black and Jewish. I'm not half black, half Jewish. I'm both equal parts of a whole. Um, and that's how I identify and that's how I've always identified. Um, and I, I can't separate those two. And it's always really like a, you know, painful part of the experience when you're kind of forced to do that at various points in your life where you feel like you have to have to do that for whatever social political <laughs> reason is out there. Um, we can get into that more later. But um, yeah, so that's that's how I identify. And I mean, when I think about like how they intersect, I just... I can't separate either of them. And I think um, that, yeah, it is, it is just who I am and like really intrinsic to how I view the world and, and how I see and experience things. Um, And I think there is this really important shared history, you know, of course, between the black and Jewish community, both in terms of like a shared struggle. It is like a rich history and identity to draw upon. Like I think about, you know, where we came from as a black community. And like, I am lucky enough to have done a lot of like work and travel in sub-Saharan Africa and feel very connected in that way and still have a lot of friends there. And then the Jewish identity that it's like this incredible, you know, legacy. And that uh, when I participate in things like Shabbat or the holidays, I feel this 
deep connection to like my grandparents and our ancestors and this entire global community. So like I have a big network, like global Jewish community. Um, But it's interesting though, because I think people of color, like my Latin Jewish friends who live in Latin America, like they Mm. don't identify as people of color unless they're like in the States. So it's very much like time and place oriented, which I think is really interesting. That is interesting that you come to the, you come to America and there's that like white divide, like there's, it's like white and other. And it's like, that only exists Like, I guess I'm other. (laughs) But, but, But that doesn't, that only exists here. Like in Europe, like a French person and a Spanish person they're totally different. They're not both like, hey, we're both white. They're like, no, we're like, got, got our own language and stuff. And it's just like, a yeah, I mean, well, I think the whole like, like racial construct and one drop rule really like we borrow that from our European, you know, neighbors. And that's yeah. sort of where, where that, uh, that comes from that people kind of want like a math equation when they <laughs> ask about <laughs> your race and your background. If we're talking about black Jews and doing that work of like Jews of color, I mean, it, this is going to be, have a lot of musical elements and there's really like one name. There's really like one name. I mean, that comes to mind, you know, there's one guy, you know, there's like one guy that you have to mention in the conversation. And, you know, when I did stay on your couch in DC, you had this sweater, you know, this, this like character oh, sweater. Oh, yes. Remember? So, yeah, Drake. <laughs> you know what? Let me tell you how it goes. DJ Morton High Jones, hit that beat. I'm black and Jewish. Don't be so foolish. I'm black and Jewish. It's a mitzvah. Please don't forget I'm black. Please don't forget I'm Jewish. I play ball like LeBron and I know what a W2 is. So there's another, speaking of like music and, and the convergence of our, our two worlds and our shared history, there's like this organization that I got involved with called Creative Community for Peace. And they're just kind of blowing up right now. And it's like, I think it was like started by like Tiffany Haddish and Nick Cannon, something like that. But like, it's for like artists and entertainers in both communities to come out and like speak out against like racism and anti-Semitism. And there are like events that groups do together. And I think that there's just like a huge opportunity in like the music and the creative space um, to increase visibility around these issues and to build coalitions and also to create, I mean, like, yeah, like to like whatever that looks like, I'm very excited to see what comes of this, but um yeah, it's it's gaining a lot of traction. They have like 170 signees now. Shout out Creative Community for Peace. Now, like we have like people who are like out and proud, like Jews of color who are both, yeah, black and Jewish, not separating either identity, visible, proud Jews, proud, like both communities. Like, yeah, it, it makes me so happy. Super inspiring. It's the kind wow. of happiness I see when I see like interracial couples. I'm like, I shouldn't, have to be so excited about this, but I am, even though it's 2021. Your origin story is an interracial is an interracial couple, you know? It's like that's that's how you that's how you came to be, you know. Exactly. Thank you to Tiffany for chatting with us. It's always a pleasure to see where she is in the world and hear about what organizations we can look out for in the future. If you work at an organization that you'd like us to highlight or you want to make sure the future episodes are heard, you can drop us a line by visiting our production headquarters, Mad One Media at madone.me. Another organization from my upbringing that inspired 
a coming together in the spirit of a minion was a group called the Vow Movement, which spawned Speak the Music, that incorporated a the larger beatbox community in the Bay Area. If you don't know what beatboxing is, is the art of vocal percussion, an art that molded me as a young performer with sounds like turntables, <laughs> drum sets, and horns and vocal ticks and such. All these sounds are part of the hip-hop lexicon, and all these sounds are part of the creative expression that makes you get your willies out. This is a form of creative expression that can be heard in the shower, in the car, any other place. And we all need creative expression during this time. The greater community of beatboxers doing monthly shows was a way for people of diverse backgrounds to come together and share these moments of creativity. Some of those performers went on to tour the world to be a source of inspiration for others. And of the founders of these beatbox movements, there were three of them. One was a little like Buddha, one was a little like Moses, and one was like their agent trying to get them to sign on the dotted line for their book deals. Each one of these founders lived a rich, full life where they, too, fell in love with hip-hop and invited her over for Passover, where she met the relatives and got to merge with their traditions, making funny remarks on all the cultural dishes. As for me, it helped to know that hip-hop would be around every year when I was celebrating. Getting on her schedule is harder these days, but if I keep the invites coming, I may one day get an invite in return. Today's program was made possible by a grant from Asylum Arts in partnership with the Jewish Arts Collaborative. A big thanks to Moisha House, big man on top there, DC, and my original Moisha House East Bay roommate, DP, that's two Daves in one breath, for co-inspiring the concept of the creating the hip-hop agata. We didn't do it back in 2010, but we're doing it now. Big thanks for hip-hop inspirations and consistent song sending by the Newbergs, Alan Brad, Phase Master Ryan Blum Kristall, and of course Uncle Newberg himself, who on New Year's was introduced as my friend Brian. I've been your host, Joshua Walters. This has been the Hip Hop Haggadah.